0: Welcome to Futureproof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School, University of Oxford, and Kantar, the marketing insights and consulting company. In each episode, we'll have a frank discussion with industry experts to help brands and business leaders navigate the changing landscape of marketing, and hopefully dispel some myths and misconceptions along the way.
1: I'm Andrew Stephen, the L'Oreal Professor of Marketing and Associate Dean of Research at the Said Business School. So, today's podcast is about advertising and specifically diversity in advertising. And we're very, very grateful to have as our guest Karen Blackett, OBE, who's the UK country manager for WPP, also the chairwoman of Mediacom in UK and Ireland, uh, and has various government advisory roles. Uh, so, Karen, thanks for joining us. We're, we're really happy to have you today. My
4: absolute pleasure.
2: So, Karen, I mean, you know, I guess the question probably answers itself, but yeah. I, Are we diverse enough in the way in which we deliver advertising in the uk and ireland
4: there's a short answer to that which is no Uh, i don't think we are i think we are better than we were and i think we are on a journey but uh, i have always talked about our industry reflects cultural norms and we should also set culture and that means that you have to be representative of the society in which you're trying to communicate with and we have a huge responsibility in our industry to actually make people feel as though they belong so brilliant advertising is when you reflect a consumer story in a brand story and that means that we have to have more diversity in our own teams to make sure that we can truly do that so i don't think we are diverse enough i think that's all about diversity of thought which leads to creativity, which leads to transformation, which leads to profitability.
2: So you've touched on, you know, kind of cultural norms. You touched a little bit about industry st- structure. Are there any other things that you think help explain why advertising maybe isn't more diverse or hasn't made more progress? I suppose, in recent times. Look,
4: I think. My own journey into the industry, I sort of started in the industry in the early 90s and I started at a top three media agency. And I remember there were probably about 350, 400 people in that agency at the time. And there were three people who of color in that agency, in the entire agency, which was my immediate boss who hired me and Michelle on reception. And I think as an industry, we keep fishing in the same water. And I think as an industry, we do suffer from nepotism. So I met so many people's nephews, nieces, goddaughters, various friends and family members that have managed to get a foot into advertising. And if it wasn't that area, we then recruited from a very small range of universities. You know, if it wasn't the top two, it would expand to five. Um, and I think that meant that it became self pe- self-perpetuating, that we keep having the same sorts of people in the industry, and we didn't keep up with how consumers have changed, and that's what we need to do in our industry, actually reflect how consumers have changed. And an expression that I talk about a lot is the UK being a beautiful fruit salad of people, and as an industry we're all a bit too oranges and apples. Need a bit of melon and mango in there. <laughs>
1: so so it
4: sounds like
1: addressing these challenges starts with recruiting pools in some sense. I mean, that's not the only way that we address these yeah. challenges. We can talk about other approaches as well, but how do we diversify those those places where we look for people, particularly maybe younger people, to enter into uh, all the various parts of the advertising uh, industry? Is it broaden the set of universities? And I'm cognizant of the fact that I'm representing one of those less diverse but trying to be more diverse universities. But is, is that one approach or, or how else do we do this? Look,
4: I, I think there is a bigger issue which is advertising advertising because I think the range of different roles in our industry is not known and I'm sort of Chancellor of the University of, of Portsmouth and I know when they have their open days for the students that it is normally the same industries that are there. And this year was the first year that we had WPP represented, some of our opcos down there. And it was the normal management consultants and financial institutions which are all there. And I think the range of different careers, we need to do a better job, that you could go into data research, you could go into customer loyalty, you could go into creative, you could go into marketing technology. I think we need to have a better, we need to do a better job at advertising ourselves as an industry. I also think when you look at more diverse audiences, we have to do a better job with first generation people, uh, especially when it comes to an ethnic audience, because again, sample size of one family and, and my family, but my story reflects quite a number of people from an ethnic minority. My parents wanted me to have a career which was sustainable and gave me longevity and they didn't know anything about advertising. So they wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant, something that they knew had longevity in the career. So I think we have a better job to do in terms of making sure that parents who are influencers when it comes to people taking their, their first role realise that advertising is a sustainable career. So we have to have a better do a better job at that. So that's that's one element. I think the other element as well is look we need to broaden where we fish from so universities is one area and yes of course expanding the pool of universities is one way but not university isn't always an option for everyone and again when I was CEO of Mediacom in 2012 I introduced the first industry-backed so government-backed sorry apprenticeship scheme for our sector which is ridiculous that was in 2012 that people could study for an mvq in marketing and communications and work with us for years. so i think we have to look at other avenues as a route in and again taking some of our cues from other organizations you know whether that's the eys or the kpmgs they've got rid of degrees as the stipulation as entry level into those organizations just to make sure that they broaden the appeal because it might not be financially possible for people to go to university so i think that's the other area we have to look at as well and then i also think we need to be better at attracting people from other careers into our industry because i do think you can have a brilliant career and there's transferable knowledge that you can bring into the industry so again one of the programs which i introduced when i was chairwoman of, of mediacom a couple of years ago was a returning mum program to try and make sure that we attract people back into the industry and also, we balance out the age profile because our industry is a very young industry.
2: So, if we get get into the sort of the guts of it a bit, I mean, obviously, we're using diversity as a label for a number of things. I've got two questions really. How, how do you, when when you say diversity, what do you mean? And then I think the second thing is, you know, where are the, where are the biggest challenges in the industry in trying to make that work? You know, either at the role level or you know, experience level.
4: So, I sort of co-chair a cross-industry diversity task force which is made up of 26 different agencies from a range of different companies um, in the UK and one of the first things that we did was create a um, survey to find out who we are to really find out what our industry is and who we are and the questions that were asked on that survey is what I mean by diversity so I ideally want diversity of thought, which means diversity of background. So some of the questions asked about whether or not we were um, an industry which was biased towards being privately educated. We are. 22% of our industry comes from a privately educated background. and When it comes to our leaders, it's 31% and that compares to a national average of 7%. Um, We also looked at disability, where we are totally underrepresented with 1% of our industry against a national average of 7%. When it comes to ethnicity, again, totally underrepresented, especially when you think of most of our agencies in the industry tend to be in London, where the BAME population of London's 40%. In our industry, we're looking at 16%, which is more than the national average, but it's still 16%, whereas London's 40%. And again, when it comes to LGBT plus, again, totally underrepresented. So it's all forms of diversity and diversity of thought. And age is another area. I think in our survey results from the census data, 12% of our industry is over the age of 45, which I find quite frightening, that's me and you (laughs) in this room, bringing up that average age. (laughs) So, So and and I think, again, that's frightening. Um, And if you think about the UK, becoming an older population uh, and w- we're going to have to communicate products and brands to an older population again we're not going to be reflective of the society in which we serve so it's true diversity of thought across all spectrums and I haven't even talked about neurodiversity as well which is the other area and I just think that coming together you get so much creativity when you get people with different perspectives coming together I think that is it's hard work. harder because it's harder to get to consensus because everybody's got a different viewpoint, but the end result is always absolutely worth it. So that's what I mean by diversity. And in terms of some of the challenges, look, pipeline is one of them, um, to make sure that we get people coming into the industry, but just as important, if not more important, is actually progression because you tend to have what the Black British Business Awards um, did a piece of research which they called the squeezed middle. So the people already in our industry that find it really difficult to progress because there's nobody above them that looks like them. So they're stuck in the middle with people coming in, they're in the middle and the avenues to progress to sort of leadership roles aren't there. So they tend to churn out. So we've got to make sure that if we want to change the face of our industry, that we keep that squeezed middle, that we allow opportunities for them to progress. So again, with some of my work as the race equality champion for business, part of my focus is about how we ensure that there is career progression. And the Race at Work Charter talks about progression because loads of companies are doing initiatives and pipeline. And if you look at, again, from that diversity census, uh, for under 24s, 40% of our industry now comes from a BAME background, so we are doing things for pipeline, but it's the people already in that squeeze middle we've got to focus on as well.
2: And when you say BAME, just for the... Sorry, listeners. black,
4: Asian and minority ethnic.
2: Yeah, and, and I think the, you know, we've just done some work, as you know, on, on you know, sort of gender portrayal and advertising, and one of the big factors that I think, you know, I guess, attracts or m- moves people away is the level to which uh, it builds self-esteem. And, so, and one of those is role modeling. Do you feel like there's sort of, there are enough role models or do you think that's a relevant way to kind of try and attract people into the industry?
4: There are, and I think we need to ensure that those role models are given a platform to talk about the work, not just about being female or being black or whatever the protected group is. So there, there are, and it's making sure that they're comfortable speaking up as well, because not everybody is. It's hard to shut me up, um, but <laughs> not everybody else feels that way. And then uh, and, and the focus has to be on the work. I was doing a panel yesterday for one of our operating brands uh, called Wavemaker, which was talking about, and it was a really interesting question they posed, which they had a range of speakers to, to answer the question. Uh, and the provocation was, when will we reach gender equality and how will we know that we have got there and, and i sort of my first my opening gambit was the only time that you see an all-female literally panel is talking about gender equality and you should see all we female panels talking about the work talking about what we do not just when we're talking to about inequality
1: so with respect to the work so to get into some examples um because I completely agree that when you have diverse teams working together, you get better output, and and that's backed by tons of academic research. It's backed by experience in practice. So within advertising, where diverse teams have worked together, what are some some examples that, that are sort of top of?
3: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot.
1: for you where we really see this successful outcome? Look,
4: I think, and I can talk from personal experience, the birth of the Tesco Food Love Stories work is brilliant because, uh, and again, that is a coalition of different companies, um, not all from the same holding group, but those different companies really having diverse teams working on the creative output and the crea- and the e- communications execution. And I think when you look at Tesco, which is a UK supermarket, when you look at some of their advertising, food is a brilliant way to reflect the diverse nature of the UK in terms of people's preferences and palates and what influences us in the UK Mm -hmm. and the communities that have come together and that reflected in the work. So lots of different communications which show different types of families. So again, A family isn't just 2.2 children with uh, a mother and a father, so different types of families is reflected in that work, so whether that's single-parent families, same-sex families, and again, the food that's cooked and how food can be a unifier. Uh, One of my favorite creative executions is a lady called Birdie, true story, who fosters lots of children, and the way that the first night that they come into the home and settles them, she cooks her jerk chicken. And that's her sort of signature disc to sort of settle them. And again, there's lots of those different stories of different types of people and the food that they cook. And I think that is a true reflection of where you have diverse teams coming together with those sort of stories. And they're real stories which reflect it's that that human truth which is really important. And you couldn't have got to that human truth without diverse teams being there to talk about it. So I think that is a brilliant example. Um, You also see it in terms of when we are looking at how we interpret data and when you look at uh, the influence of algorithms and AI, um, that is all about who programs the algorithms and AI. So again, you see examples of where you don't have diverse teams and what that can mean in terms of the algorithms. And so again, that's my passion. I absolutely believe in marketing technology and how it can make our role easier and quicker and more agile, by absolutely believe that it has to have the right programming input in order to do that, because it's only as good as the input um, to get the right output.
2: What do agencies have to do, and what should brand owners do to treat that with the respect and the appropriate way that you've Look, described in you the marketing? Th- I think
4: led. it's always about challenging and keeping yourself real and checking your circle. It's something that I always talk about I have the great fortune of being really good friends with a author and presenter and broadcaster called June Sarpong who wrote a brilliant book called Diversify, talks about how we should build diverse teams and businesses. And she says two things which is check your isms and check your circle. And I think that's true of any of us running organizations or running teams that When we are coming up with work for clients or when clients are commissioning work, check your circle in terms of whether or not you are being true to your customer, true to your audience that you're trying to communicate with. Check your circle. And too often, I think sometimes we're in a central London bubble and not checking the rest of the UK. So that's the first thing, check your circle. And then everybody's got an ism. It doesn't matter. We've all got an ism. And it's being really conscious of what your ism is and how that is affecting how you brief and affecting how you view the work as well. So be conscious of your ism and see how that might be being interpreted into the work that you are commissioning or the work that you are creating.
2: So do you think there's a value for things like unconscious bias training, which is kind of very in vogue at the moment and, you know, kind of... I guess. Look, I, I,
4: it's it's about making sure that it doesn't just become a tick box that you've done it and suddenly everything's resolved, which I think it can be in a lot of organisations. It's yeah, we're everything sorted now. We've all done the unconscious bias training and all sorted. We can make sure that we've co- we've covered off that auditing area of our role, and it's about consciously coming back to it rather than doing it once. I think also, you
1: know, the phrase box ticking is is something that comes to mind a lot when i think about this because if we think about the advertising execution you know you could you could imagine you could represent diverse populations by just you know checking some boxes essentially mm. which which is not what you're talking about and mm. shouldn't be the way it's done mm. but how would you know the industry kind of make sure that it's not going down that route where at the end of the day maybe the consumer out there then sees it more cynically as opposed to more meaningfully and purf- purposefully that no, 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 advertisers and their, and their agencies want to represent the world as it is and as it should be in a more diverse way and representative way.
4: Part of it is about if you have diverse teams it will absolutely be representative because somebody will hold you accountable for it and ensure that it isn't seen in a cynical way but also making sure that you test what you're doing. Have those checkpoints throughout your creative process to make sure that you check in with people that aren't in our industry to keep it real. Um, And look, there are some brilliant examples of where you have not had diverse teams and the output has not been good. Um, There was an ad for a beer in South Africa, which was a lighter version of the beer. And the scene was a bottle of beer being passed along a long bar from one set of audience to the other, and it went from a darker audience to a lighter audience, and the end line was sometimes lighter is better. And true story. You, there, there are counter checks and balances that would naturally happen if you had a diverse team. And at
1: all levels, I think, is, is also totally the key point, right. that totally it's not right.
4: just someone has to be sort of the
1: diversity officer or whatever no absolutely not it's throughout throughout.
4: yeah
2: yeah. i mean i think it's um interesting when this becomes practical um and and bigger organizations often struggle more than smaller organizations because it takes time to filter through and you know we were recently involved in you know the sort of the whole issue of diversity and advertising through gender portrayal and there are some organizations that have really just set up and the top put frameworks and models in place that force people to ask the questions and i felt that was actually quite a good start point is it's not brilliant but make sure that everyone's asking the question about you know are we representing it in the right way etc are there any other organizations or businesses or things that you've seen that that help you know brand owners or agencies almost you know, sort of scale that level of diversity impact? Look,
4: I, I always think that this is difficult to achieve on your own, and I'm all about um, bringing in partners to help, because look, I am not a D&I expert, I can go from my own viewpoint and what I've seen and experienced, but also through running a business, in terms of I, how I have seen our fortunes change when you have a more diverse team. But I would always say partner with others while you can, but also, I think, uh, and to your point, it's about when you have it as a grassroots level, not just from the leadership point of view. And at the grassroots level, you need to allow your team to start setting what the framework is for some of the initiatives. And you know, uh, we don't want initiativeitis, but we do want the big initiatives that are gonna make a difference. And part of that's about empowering your people to be able to do that. So again, we have done that at a WPP level in the UK, where we have spotted brilliant programmes happening in some of our individual opcos, and we're now elevating them to run across all of our operating companies as WPP.
2: And there's, um, I mean, there's o- obvious societal impact for this, and I know the government work that you do. I think comes fr- from a lot of the kind of community-based place, but I mean, it's, it's good for business as well, isn't it? I mean, so what wh- you know, what have you learned about? I guess the commercial impact of this kind of stuff.
4: I was speaking recently at a conference in Wolverhampton, a sales conference in Wolverhampton for the Department of International Trade and everybody there had some form of sales role in their organisation. And I was talking about know yourself, know your customer and talking about the importance of diversity and inclusion. If you're going to try and sell and engage someone understand the person that you're trying to engage with and this was new news Mm -hmm. so i never underestimate the 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 need to repeat the 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 analysis and the facts and the stats behind this so you know mckinsey have done a great job in terms of actually having those proof points that so many of us talk about uh you know those companies that are more gender diverse outperform those less so by 21 percent those which are ethnically diverse outperform those less so by 33%. The Hampton Alexander Review in terms of looking at gender diversity. Again, looking at other areas in terms of ethnic diversity. So whether it's the Parker Review and looking at how many of our FTSE 100 companies have actually got anybody from a non-white background on their boards. And of
2: course, there's Brand Z, which you know, we recently found out that showed you know, yeah. the, the more inclusive... Uh, From a gender point of view, a brand is the more valuable it is. I think on average, Mm. a billion dollars more value per brand just by being more inclusive, um, which again, it's got to be good for business. Totally.
4: So so I never underestimate the need to constantly sound like a broken record and repeat those facts because you you do.
2: What advice would you give to the business leaders um, who are probably a bit further behind?
4: Part of my role with the government on this is to try and come up with a plan. And part of that for those business leaders that are further behind is to buddy them up with those that are on the jo- a bit further on the journey Can tell you about the pitfalls, what to look out for, can tell you about the quick wins. So that's part of it about how you buddy up different CEOs to, to make it easier, to make sure that there's a safe space for them to be able to talk. And when it comes to race specifically, I think it's an issue where people will not discuss race openly because people may be scared of saying the wrong thing. I think there has been some amazing, responsible brand owners that are sort of leading the way and pioneering. Um, So, you know, the Unstereotype Alliance, um, where you have people like Unilever and Diageo sort of leading the way in terms of the commitment to how we portray and see gender in the content that we create, whatever that content is. And then people in their own organizations that have created frameworks. So um, I would have to call out Sil Sala, the CMO of Diageo, who, as you know, Bart, was part of our What Women Want initiative, which was looking at marketing to women over the last 100 years. And she very unselfishly gave the framework that Diageo worked with to all of the clients that attended. So people like that who see the, the real need for doing this and the real business results for doing this, being able to share their learnings and share their frameworks to help others is exactly what we need.
0: You've been listening to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Saeed Business School and Kantar. Find more episodes and related content at uk.kantar.com or at sbs.oxford.edu. Thank you.